With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 22, the Momo Sissoko episode. Since this this introductory part is usually a joke for the most, most of the time, but there is now another player wearing number 22. Hopefully, in a few years, we're not saying his name. And that obviously is Federico Chiesa. But let me bring in the usual crew here with Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. How's it going today, Danny? Got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Yeah, good evening. I've, uh, I hope my uh, audio is all perfect and going. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, pre-show, I uh, had a little bit of audio issues. But uh, hello, everyone. Don't touch anything. Like I said right before we hit record, don't touch anything. <laughs> and we've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Also, Asamoah. Qua- Qua- I don't know. I don't want to butcher his first name. Qua- but Asamoah. Qua- Asamoah. Very easy to figure out what we're talking about this week, and it's what we totally forgot to talk about last week because there is so much going on, and that would be the return of the Champions League. And the byproduct of that means the schedule is going to get a whole lot busier. I believe Tuto Sport had it right across their cover on this the Monday that we're recording here that Juventus uh, coming up has seven games in 23 days. So if you liked how the schedule was over the summer – you're going to get that again in a, in a few days here. So since Sam was the one who broke down the groups right after the draw, I will go to somebody not named Sam to begin this first part. 
Chucks, your thoughts on the Champions League group and obviously how many thousands of words are you going to commit to Ronaldo versus Messi? <laughs> I like your uh, bait and switch there. Uh, Sam, was ready, <laughs> Sam was ready to jump in and I was like, ooh, no, got you right there. <laughs> Foiled! Foiled! <laughs> that's... Uh... That's, I'm sure how, that's how you've broken many a lover's hearts as well. <laughs> I zigged right when you thought I was going to zag. No, um, no, I mean, it's, it's an interesting group. I, I was thinking about it earlier today, and a friend of mine who I'm in a WhatsApp group with from uh, my for, former uh, football team back in the Netherlands, he was saying, and this is something I have also noticed in the past, which I don't know, it's just kind of the reality of it all. It's just that it's kind of a typically lopsided group in which you have like the top two teams that are clearly really, really good. And then the other two that are, I mean, yeah, they're just okay. I mean, they're essentially Europa League teams. So you have two by far and away Champions League teams and two, I mean, just clearly Europa League teams. And, you know, my friend was saying like, this is becoming a pattern, A, and B, it's just becoming more prevalent. Like, I think, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but really I want to say like at least four groups or so, four or five groups this year and last year really too were like that, where you just had that, you know, two clubs, golf, and then two clubs. So I think this is the case here again with Juventus, with our group. Uh, you know, Juventus Barca, of course, and then, yeah, Dinamo Kiev and, uh, well, here I go, uh, Ferenc Varos. <laughs> um, we, we tried desperately, let the record show, we tried desperately, practiced desperately before we started recording <laughs> we left it up to the one european of the group so if, if shocks didn't get it right then it's on you yeah. buddy. i mean like i said like like i said in the pre and in, in, in our preamble um i mean i had a hungarian friend and i mean that's about all the exposure well one hungarian friend and then one girl i knew she was vietnamese but raised in hungary so yeah, but anyway, uh, Ferenc Valos and Dinamo Kiev. Um, I mean, clearly, I think it's this is a very negotiable group. I mean, really, if we are in any way, shape, or form intending to at least challenge for the league or challenging somewhat for the Champions League, I mean, this group should just be perfectly doable. I mean, I, I think this is one of those groups where if we don't make it out of it, we frankly don't deserve it, you know don't deserve to progress like if we don't progress we clearly just do not deserve to progress so you know really we should just be able to make it from this group without too much difficulty um i think the away game in you know it's typical again with that away game in ukraine which is going to be in the winter it's going to be you know weather circumstances are going to be i mean unpleasant probably uh the travel to kind of eastern europe is always uh you know always a bit unpleasant especially now with COVID that, I mean, that just might throw some, throw some extra variables in there. But I mean, this, I expect this to progress. Uh, we'll be first, we'll be second. I don't know. Uh, that's always kind of a toss up. The thing is about Juve and Barcelona, clearly these are two teams that are both, and I've always found that Barca and Juve over the last year and a half, we've been following similar trajectories in the sense that both been clubs, in flux, really. Barca with a uh, new coach now, with Kuman, and just with having so many coaches over the last few years, uh, obviously the whole ordeal with Messi, and just having a really aging squad that they've, you know, they've re- 
they've rebooted a little bit over the summer, but just, yeah, again, also a squad, just like Juve, that people said this is a squad with a really high average age, relying too much on the old guard, and it just needs new blood, both managerially and player-wise. And now, yeah, now you have two clubs that have brand new coaches, very different coaches, and nobody really knows what to expect from these clubs. So it's going to be kind of a clash of two unknowns, and that makes it even more unpredictable unpredictable for me like i i truly have no idea if we're gonna become first uh, and first or second in this one it's just the two clubs are just in too much of flux and too unpredictable right now that i just i really have no idea but uh nevertheless i do expect us to uh to get at least second uh, i think anything you know i think they should like the goal should be to top the group but i think just qualification should be pretty much a given i mean you know going to to Kiev, especially as Chuck said, in the winter, you know, so it's not always easy. And, you know, Juba fans, some of us probably still have some PTSD remaining of like going to like FC Copenhagen. I think it was the one time and it was like they played terribly there and then they went to Turkey and they played terrible. Like for a while there, they went to like against teams that they should have beaten, but because it was like long trips and even last year against Moscow, which they, they got bailed out by by that incredible Douglas Costa game, but goal. I mean, you know, outside of that, you know, you always kind of want to not have to travel that far. But outside of that, I think it's a pretty manageable, pretty manageable group. It will be interesting to see. Like, the headlines really will be what type of Barcelona squad shows up, what type of Juventus squad shows up. Two squads are clearly in kind of like some sort of rebuild, kind of retool phase. So that's going to be really the, the, the main story. And you know, overall, I was pretty, pretty happy with the draw. I don't think we could have asked for, for a significantly better draw. To be, to be honest with you, uh, the, the one thing I, I do want to mention was the man. The UEFA really likes to, you know, milk their Champions League draw because if you saw that show, it was like they took like forty minutes to draw the first, like to even draw the pots, which means nothing. Like it's just Juventus Group H, awesome. Like I waited. 35 minutes for that really really cool like that was an enjoyable 35 minutes of, of television and then they take forever to to do the the presentation and they present like the team of, of the year and you know just all these weird weird stuff I, I you can tell they really want to milk this which is slightly annoying but outside of that I mean you know overall I was pretty pleased with the with the group yeah I I, I think we're looking at one of the best possible scenarios that we could have had with this draw. My main concern going into it was staying far away from RB Leipzig in pot three, because that was, that could have been really killer. I'm glad we, I'm glad we missed them. And, you know, as it, when it comes to, you know, first and second in the group, I, I don't know if it, I mean, obviously you'd like to win it to win because this is competitive sports, but ever since they made the, they shifted that uh, that rule around for the group stage seating where they put the the league winners in you know the top league winners into pot one and then arranged the rest by coefficient. Winning your group has become less of a of has become less of an advantage in the round of sixteen draw. Like I think the first year that they did that was the year that we played Bayern Munich in the round of sixteen. It's not the you know the direst of things. Obviously, you know you have to get out, and I think that this is a group that they can definitely 
that they can definitely get out with, you know, because especially since, you know, there are looking at the other groups, there are at least two groups of death in this, in this draw. Poor Atalanta. Um, poor, poor Atalanta. Oh God, Atalanta. But here's the thing. I actually would look at Atalanta and say they can probably get second over Ajax in that group. And, you know, the way Liverpool's been defending this year, I can see them winning the, one of those games, like, six to five. Those games are going to be must-see TV because yeah. just the goal potential. I mean, of course, now that we've said that, they're all going to be, like, one nothing boring-ass games. Right. You know, there, there's like, potential for, you know, 4-3 all over the place. Yeah, in, the, in that. Group. Like, you look at some of the other groups, and this is where I, I disagree with you a little bit, Chucks, in the – and I don't think that these are your your standard two tighten and out groups in a lot of this competition. Like Group H, Man United, P- uh, PSG, RB Leipzig, that's really difficult. That's going to be difficult. Group F doesn't have a lot of heavyweights in it, but Lazio, Dortmund, Club Bruges, Zenit, that's, that's, you know, there are three teams that could get out of that group conceivably. Liverpool, Ajax, Atalanta, that's difficult. Real Madrid, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Shakhtar, and Inter in group B that's a that's a hell of a group <laughs> that's the toughest one i think and also i hate to i hate, i hate to sound like i'm correcting people but we're actually not going to be going to kiev in the dead of winter because they're the, because the away game against kiev is the first game next week yep. yeah i was going to correct that i was i was actually just looking yeah. at the schedule so uh, yeah <laughs> um, uh, pardon me on that so come on chunks. so I blindly uh, believe Chucks, to be honest. He was like, we're going into winter. I was like, I guess we're going to winter. Like, that's not going to be awesome, yeah. but I guess we can do that. Yeah, so so we got to, you know, the quirks of the schedule do help us there. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, anything less than advancing out of this group would be, a, would be at this point a complete humiliation. I don't have huge knockout stage expectations, but if we had, you know, if things in the draw had gotten a little bit, had gone a little bit different, I would have been concerned about progressing based, based on a couple of different pairings. But the way things shook out, I, I'm confident that progression will be a thing. We'll get out, I think. Knock on wood. Yeah, it, it, like you said, Sergio, this, there couldn't have been much better of a draw than this. Yeah, apologies there. Uh, that indeed for that scheduling thing, I did just look at the schedule, and yeah, pardon me. Um, it's funny because usually you're forgiven, Chuck. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Sensei. Um, <laughs> sensei. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, it's, it's chap one week and Sensei the next, man. You're, yeah, got to keep you on your toes, man. Got to, got to keep you guessing. You know, we'll say October and October in Kiev probably isn't necessarily a pleasant thing, but it's yeah. better than November or December in Kiev. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and indeed, match day six is Barcelona away, which honestly is probably better. Well, I don't know. I always go back and forth between having the most difficult game first or last. I don't know. I one day I'm like, yeah, I'd rather have it first. Other day I think, oh, well, I'd rather have it last. But I don't know. I've, it's flipped the coin on that one, but no, I, I totally agree with Sam in the, in in the sense that with well, first of, well, okay, first let me actually backtrack a little bit on that with the scheduling. I think it's pretty favorable that, for instance, match day four and five, we have two home games against well, indeed, Ferenc Varos and uh, Dinamo Kiev. I'm getting better with that, by the way, but I think that's a good way to kind of prep 
and hopefully have to have the job done before we go away to Barcelona. So that would be preferable. But also, no, I agree with Sam that like the, the difference of coming first or second since they kind of shook up that that system with the the champions pot in pot one. Yeah, indeed, I've noticed it's it's really the marginal benefit of coming first is actually not that much anymore because yeah, indeed, you will have sometimes where you have like. PSG will come second, or I think that was last year, wasn't it? That no, sorry, PSG came first, and then Real Madrid came second in their group, and it's like, oh great, <laughs> let's face Real Madrid or something, or Spurs came second when they were good, and uh, as my cat furiously, furiously meows in the background, my friend. Um, yeah, we That's can. Right. Uh, my my cat has come on the pod once or twice since we started this thing, Chuck. So yeah, she'll just walk in and just like furiously meow and then just walk out, just like walk, not even run, just walk. that's that that's the human why do i not have food in front of me yeah yeah cats are strange creatures but um like i said i think marginal benefit really of coming first versus second is not as much so i guess i'm not as concerned now that you know now that sam reminded me of that point now i guess i'm not as concerned anymore first or second now i'm just like let's just qualify I think overall, like you said, by the time match day six rolls around, if, I mean, Juventus has to be qualified by that point. I mean, it, I'm, any other scenario where you're still kind of like playing to get in at that point, something has gone like tremendously wrong. You know, I mean, I understand that sometimes all the Juve fans kind of like get a little queasy in the Champions League because of all the things that have happened in that competition. But I mean, you know, Juventus should very easily beat the Hungarian team i'm not gonna try it like chuck's day you know you know you know what our team is Howard. <laughs> you conveniently skirted around that one yeah that, 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 the team from hungary um <laughs> you know they should easily beat them home and away you know dinamo is probably going to be a bit tougher away but they should still beat them and then just yeah just kind of duke it out with barcelona i do have a personal stake in Juventus topping the group because my girlfriend is a Barcelona fan, so we made a bet of who would top the group. But outside of that, I agree with you guys that it's just it's a, it's a crapshoot whether or not like it, it's better to be the first or the second one. But, you know, I think they should just qualify and, and that that would be good enough. What I do want to say regarding the, the groups is that every year, and I understand they have like a wonky formula and, and all of that, but every year the top seeded clubs like there's always clubs that make sense and then there's like all disrespect to senate st petersburg which is a fun club but there's no like there's no logic to them being like the number one seed like fc porto fine you could maybe make an argument but there's no way that they should be like the number one seed and manchester city is the second like is in the second tier barcelona is in the second tier like it doesn't really make sense i get there's like a like a coefficient and like a formula and they do the whole UEFA thing but but yeah that I think that's also a reason why sometimes there's like groups that there's clearly like two very good teams and two very bad teams well not very bad team but two teams that are of a lesser quality and then just weird groups like like Sam was mentioning like the Senate San Petersburg group which is Dortmund and Senate and and Lazio which is just going to be and, and Club Bruges even which is not necessarily a pushover so so that that's going to be interesting to see overall like that's you know it's just going to be it's just something that happens every single year and it's never made sense to me 
How dare you insult the former employer of Claudio Marchisio, Sergio? Oh, yeah. My apologies. <laughs> and the Hungarian club. Shame. Or the Shame. Hungarian club. I tried. Afterwards, I tried. I, I, I think. I, I actually, I mean, I, I think you can kind of sort of disrespect Ferenc Varos a little bit because I think they might have had this, the lowest club coefficient in the entire draw. Hey, but they, right now they're second in the league. They're second in the Hungarian league. I believe this yeah. is the first time in 25 years that they've made the Champions League proper. I, I honestly, I, I, I don't want to disrespect them because I love those little stories. Like I think there was uh, yeah. this club from the Faroe Faro Islands or something that was this close to making it to the Europa League. Like they lost the last like qualifying into the Europa League and it would have been like this awesome story, you know? So it's always like, it, it's always cool to me when like a smaller club kind of like makes its way to like a big competition. So I think that's always uh, awesome. Apoel a few years ago, making it down to like the quarterfinals. Yeah, exactly. I think that's awesome. And I think that does help financially all these like the smaller clubs from the smaller leagues. I think that's, that's just good for everyone. But I mean, imagine but, yeah. Atalanta, you know, if Atalanta hadn't made it as far as they did, like, especially given COVID, I imagine Duvan Zapata would be playing for another club right now. Maybe Luis Muriel would be playing for another club right now. You know, they might have actually, they might have given Papu Gomez a little kick out the door when the, I think it was the Qataris came calling for him at some point this summer. Not to go back to the, you know, Atalanta fan club that sometimes this podcast becomes, but I, I love the, like, I also love that team because they have just followed that blueprint that you have to do to kind of like, you know, maintain that level and progress through the European stage. And they're doing everything right. And it's awesome that they actually, you know, managed to keep the team together and they're playing really well right now. And I mean, you know, you wouldn't count them out of making like noise in the Champions League this year either. You know, I mean, they they have a very good, solid chance of, of making it to the knockout stages again, which I mean, that's And now awesome they know how to do that. it, which they didn't last year, which is another, you know, they felt it this time as opposed yeah, to sure. last time when, you know, it was all new to them and they were kind of starstruck. Now they're like, all right, we've done this once. Let's go to work. Hopefully, you know, all the other players that have done and have been deep in the Champions League that are play for Juventus will feel the same way. Well, they don't have the experience of Daniele Rugani to lean on anymore. So, noted Champions League superstar, Daniele Rugani. But speaking of, speaking, speaking of Atalanta, just as a total tangent, Gasparini gave an interview where he recently where he basically said he was the one who made the three man backline in Bogue. And I just, kept thinking like do you remember who kind of made actually made the three-man back line in vogue when he was winning titles in turin but anyway hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I know Chuck said he doesn't want to make predictions, but we're going to make predictions. So apologies, Chucks. Rejected. Rejected. (laughs) And you can't can't just say first or second like you did. So if you guys had to put money on it, and I don't know what kind of betting guys you are, but consensus is that first or second is pretty much the only real way. And, you know, barring, barring any major catastrophes, it seems like that's going to happen. But if you guys had to put on your prognosticating hats, where, where does Juventus finish and kind of how, I don't know if convincing is the right word, but how do you think they kind of get to where you think they might be at the end of the group stage? I think they have to fit. Like if I were just making a prediction, they finish first. There's no, I understand that, you know, new coach, new system, everything is going like, you know, new in, in Juventus land, but there's no reason they should be dropping points against Frank Baos or Dinamo Kiev or in, like, there's no way, like they have to beat those clubs. And it's really going to come down to like a head to head against Barcelona, which it's going to be interesting to see as we already discussed, but I'd like to believe that, that we can kind of, get the better of them over two two games and, and finish top of the top of the group. If we, if we were actually making predictions, that would be my prediction. I'm sure it's definitely not going to happen that way, but, you know, I, I would hope and I would like it for, for that to be the case. I would certainly love it as well, but I'm actually probably a little more inclined to say that we'll edge into second. You know, if we do manage to to take all three points off of Barcelona in the home game, that would dramatically change things. But new, new coaches, new system for everybody. But I think the difference for me is going to be that Ronald Koeman is not new to coaching. And, and not new to I, Barcelona either. Yeah, that, that too. Oh, well, I mean, Pirlo's not new to Juventus, I said, but yeah. um, I think, yeah, I, I kind of think that there'll be, you know, at, that there'll be at least one of the the games Barcelona will take a win and the other one will be a draw. Like I kind of have a feeling home, home draw win at the Camp Nou when everybody's qualified and just playing for seeding on Barcelona's side. Yeah, I, I would edge towards saying second place. For once, I'm not the contrarian because for once someone agrees with me. <laughs> um, no, I actually agree with Sam. Yeah, I, I think... I think will also come in second purely. I mean, I'm basing my, I guess, very flimsy prediction on basically on one question, which is like, which team will have their stuff together more on time? Which one will have, which team will have their stuff together quicker than the other uh, between Juventus and Barcelona. And just given that they have new coaches and new systems and stuff. And I'm going to say, I think Barca will probably have their stuff together better slash quicker than we do. And just purely on that basis, I think they'll edge it, edge it into first. I will also say one, I, and, and I've been, I know we've all been trying to avoid this except for Danny's joke, but a lot of the head to heads against Barcelona are going to come down to which one of the two aliens playing in that, in those matches is going to show up in, in better form and better, you know, you know which one wants to show up the other more because when you ha- when you do have players like that in in a game they can be the deciding factor regardless of anything else 
which ma- which makes it a which makes it a bit more of a crapshoot. And while I am predicting that Juventus will finish second in the group, w- finishing first is n- by no means out of the question. But you know, a- those games are going to be very very interesting. Yeah, Lord knows. Uh, one thing's for sure, given that it's Messi versus Ronaldo, we for sure are going to be on prime time television. So thank God for that. You mean they're not going to be hyping up Pianet for Tartar? That isn't the number one guy gone. <laughs> what, what do you mean, Danny? <laughs> not going to be Chesney Terstegen? I don't necessarily buy into the whole, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, industrial goat complex, but it, it is going to be kind of fun and kind of interesting to see them go head to head again, which it was always weird to me that they're going head to head, but they're both attackers. So they're not really going head to head, but you know, it, it's either way going to be fun. They haven't, I think they haven't really played each other since uh, Ronaldo left uh, Real Madrid. So that's just, it's just going to be, you know, fun to see. And I think interesting to see, and obviously that's going to be the, the, the big angle everyone takes. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be everything that ESPN and, and the likes talk about, but you know, either way, despite the whole hype there's going to be over it, I think it's just going to be good games and a good, a very good first test for the, Andrea Pirlo led Juventus because that's going to be, I mean, even if Barcelona is in a bit of a disarray and new coach and whatever, they're always going to be there as, as kind of like a contender. So that's going to be a very good first test for the team in them actually going up against truly elite competition. So I, I really, those are the games that obviously everyone's going to be, be watching. And so, so will we. Pray for us moderating the comments. Yes. Fun. <laughs> Lots of fun. Yeah, here, here. Well, no, knowing what you mentioned a few minutes ago, Sergio, and that your significant other is a Barcelona supporter, what are those match days going to be like since, you know, it's, it's Champions League? And as we mentioned, there's a, there's a lot riding on it. Yeah, that, I will be very civil. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he's saying this with um, a straight face, folks, so it's, he's not – or maybe I'm not now sure the if she will. In, so. I'm not sure if she will, but I will be very civil. I will I'll very much keep it above the belt, just because I, I when I, when you know last years when Barcelona was eviscerated by eventual champions by Munich, I, I got a taste of like things not going her way when it comes to football. So I I'm just gonna be like, if Juventus win, I'm gonna be like, hey, it was a good game. It was a good game, you know, good game, good good teams. I'm just not gonna gloat. I know. I know where I stand on that one. You couldn't really brag about how Juventus did in the Champions League either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I don't know if I'd rather just like quietly go into the night instead of like just get absolutely eviscerated by Bayern Munich. But you know, that's that's you know we can have a whole argument about that. Yeah, this is why you find a partner that likes the teams you like. This is why my wife and I have gotten as far as we have because we're both huge Phillies fans. That's. <laughs> You can both wallow into to not making the playoffs. And, to, and, and yes, it's the, the 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 despair of being a Philadelphia fan is unique and unifying. <laughs> One more thing we, before we get to the Twitter questions, and we've got a couple ones that might be kind of long form answers, which are good, seeing as we don't have much else to talk about these days during an international break. But as I mentioned beforehand, or in the introduction to things on this episode seven games in 23 days and that obviously obviously means uh some league games as well but if you look at the schedule 
it's mostly against teams outside of Lazio that Juventus should, you know, all things go according to plan, should handle pretty well. So how much are you hoping that Andrea Pirlo, knowing what this international break has been like, where it's busy for a lot of players, how much are you guys hoping that this is kind of the first iteration of we see of Andrea Pirlo using the depth of this squad to his advantage and really rotates and tries to keep guys fresh knowing that there's both Champions League and also games against provincial uh, city offsides. I mean, to me, I mean, yes, seven games in 23 days is nuts, but it's also, I, I think it's not that far off from some periods in normal seasons when it comes to Champions League group play. Like, it, it, this is a little bit on the extreme side, but playing, you know, maybe 85, you know, maybe 85% of this is what the group stage usually is. I do think it's the blessing that you're getting a lot of Provinciale in the, in the middle of that sequence, you know, with Lazio being the only one after that really becomes a huge game, a huge league game. But yeah, the, the depth of the squad, the squad's depth is going to have to be used. And if Pirlo does it, he's really going to be the first one that's really utilized it in a while. Cause you know, Saudi didn't rotate obviously all that much. Um, but neither, Allegri really didn't either. I mean, you look at Miralem Pjanic's minutes numbers from his last few seasons. Oof under Allegri and he was playing what five six thousand minutes a year um you know it's no wonder that he he was one of the most used out of them all it's no wonder that he ended up just ground down by the end of the season like it's no wonder that you know he would start seasons like gangbusters and just you know and you know crater by Christmas because at that because he was never given an opportunity to rest and so I think it will be really important I think I think the really important thing is going to be that Pirlo is going to have to do what Zidane did at Real Madrid and convince uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to sit for a couple of those games. But you have the depth to do it. You have the ability to, you know, if, if, if you keep this for, that's the other thing is, is whether or not this three, four, one, two formation is the formation or whether or not Pirlo is going to start mixing things up a bit and throwing something else and something new out there which we still really don't know because he's so new to this. But up front, the, the, the depth up front is absurd. You can play a game that's where it's, you know, Dybala, Ronaldo up front, Dybala, Morata up front, Dybala, you know, Dybala, Kulusevsky, Ronaldo, Kulusevsky, Kulusevsky in behind, Ramsey in behind. You know, if you really wanted to go wild and make Chiesa and put Chiesa into the strike pair, you can do that too because he's done that before at Fiorentina the place where I would be a little wary about is is the midfield and the back three because you know you've only really got four guys because there's no I I don't see a fifth guy there that can really play in the midfield so you know if one guy if somebody gets hurt in the midfield that's gonna cause some major problems and the other and the other thing is Giorgio Chiellini is going to have to be rested. He will be playing every other game, maybe every third game. Mario Demiral is going to have to come in and play some good, meaningful minutes. And, we'll, and we will be getting delict back, too, in the middle of that stretch between now and Christmas, which will help immensely. 
but yeah, I, I think that Pirlo is going to have to take advantage of that depth. I think at the end he will. I think he's smart enough. And the depth, for the most part, is good enough. But if one position group or another does get like a rash of injuries, that could affect things in ways that we don't like. You know, if you end up all of a sudden down to, you know, the bare bones in the middle of the group stage, that is when Fenech Varos or Dinamo Kiev could pull surprises and and maybe imperil Juventus even getting out of the group. Uh, and it could see us drop in the league table, you know, a little bit and and all of a sudden have a points gap that's really difficult to recover from. So keeping everybody healthy and rested is going to be very, very important. And I hope Pirlo does what his two immediate predecessors, really his three immediate predecessors, because let's be honest, Conte didn't really rotate either, what his predecessors didn't really do, which is to make use of of the squad. Conte had the, you know, something something of an excuse because that his squads weren't nearly as deep, certainly not with this kind of quality. But um yeah, he's got to do that. This is something he's got to do if we're going to get through this this stretch in contention for either of those two trophies. Yeah, so Sam, just to your point about the schedule like usually and I, I mean I agree there are periods during the season that you do have like those those really condensed uh, schedules, usually around, I think around January or February, this, that usually happens. That you'll have that like spree of like I don't know five, six games in a in a very. They start big... the Coppa Italia for Juventus. By the time Juventus gets into the Coppa Italia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's true, definitely. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, usually the international break during the international break, usually countries have two games or play two games in that period and I was just looking at the schedule but I'm seeing now like three games on the schedule so for instance take Italy yeah, uh, three games exactly yeah yeah but like but usually it's two right I think and that's that, and that's kind of the unusual thing so you have so they have three yeah. games here because they lost the September internationals this year right right so then they have to make up for that one yeah yeah exactly so yeah I mean that's kind of already an anomaly anyways that that they have that that they have an extra extra game kind of shoved into what is already a really short international break. Anyway, I mean, the international break is usually like, I mean, essentially 10 to 14 days. So you have three games in that period, and now you have seven games in a three-week period. And, I mean, it's just – it's almost in, inhumane, really, I think. it's. I remember reading this report – actually, I had to re- do some research for my book about this. Um, it was on FIFPRO. And it was basically this report was called At the Limit. And they were talking about how top-level players now play just more games than ever in less and less time than ever. You know, some players play 50, 60, up to 80 games per, per season, which is just insane. Like, that's absolute madness to play that many games in a season. You know, you already have that. And this was pre-COVID. I remember that report was 2019. So that, that report was pre-COVID. And then imagine how it is now. I mean, I don't know how many games like players are going to have to play this season in like what time span. It's going to just be totally nuts. Plus, you already have a pandemic to deal with. So, you know, you're at more risk. 
it makes you wonder if the five subs is going to turn into a permanent thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, who knows? I, it's, it's I wouldn't be against it based on that data alone Yeah, that yeah. you were talking about because I've seen that report too. Yeah, yeah. And I, but it's funny because I think the Premier League, I think they rejected the five subs. And it wasn't the league. I think that it was the Premier League that rejected the five subs, which was, I mean, I don't know, interesting. Interesting choice. But, well, oh, yeah, the Pirlo question. Um, I think it's a blessing and a curse that Pirlo hasn't made up his mind with respect to what his preferred formation slash starting lineup is. So I think it's a blessing in this case because that means he's going to be more flexible with respect to rotation because, I mean, if you're not set on one formation, then, I mean, you could say, okay, I need to rest, let's say, Ronaldo and uh, Bentancur, and then that will mean, okay, and that means I need to change formations. Well, yeah, sure, fine. So I think it could be a blessing in that, in that sense that he'll be more flexible in not only changing formations and tactics, but then also rotating players. But it's a curse in a sense that, well, I mean, we just don't know what, like, what he's going to do, <laughs> like, frankly. It, it's just so uncertain. Like, if, he, if he still hasn't sorted out what his best formation is and now he has to constantly rotate players through, is that going to help or hurt like, his process of figuring out what his best 11 slash formation is? And I'm just not really sure. I'm going to lean, since I'm a pessimist, uh, I'm going to lean towards uh, cautious optimism. I, I, I do agree with all of your points. I, I do think it's going to be very important to, to rotate. I, I'm actually not that worried about the attack. I think the attack is going to sort itself out. I mean, they have so many guys to throw out there. Like Sam mentioned, I mean, it's really going to be – I don't think they will have any issues unless there's like a really bad you know, rash of injuries, which you know we hope that doesn't come to be. But I think the attack is stacked. And the midfield, I do not – share the concerns that Sam had necessarily. I think they have, you know, they have four guys, maybe even throw in, you know, the, the, here comes Sammy Kedira. He's still in the team. Like they didn't take I was going to say, I was, I was, you don't, (laughs) you know, he's still on the team. So, you know, he could maybe actually fill out, like fill in in the lineup, but you have a guy like Ramsey who could, you know, for 20 minutes until he goes back to the trainer's room or listen, you need 20 minutes. Sometimes, sometimes all you need is 20 minutes. And sometimes all you need is a couple games for Sammy Kedira to come in and, you know, just kind of like be a guy against the, the, you know, the, the Verona's of the world, you know? So I I think that they're, they're good. Is Pirlo even letting him train with the first team at this point? I, I think he is. I mean, I've seen pictures of him training, but I'm not super. I mean, is he fit? <laughs> well, not right now. That's but, the eternal yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he will at some point, and maybe he can give you some minutes. And, you know, on the wings, Alexander is going to come back. Federico Bernardeschi is going to come back. You have a, a bunch of guys to throw out that position. The one that I, I'm actually, I am a little bit concerned about it is the defense because Giorgio Chiellini is already kind of like he had a uh, thing it's been kind of like, you know, lose on what type of injury he had, but he already kind of got hurt on the, you know, on the Italian national team camp. And I think he just took a hard, I think it was a hard impact injury. That's the way I've been interpreting what I've heard about that, that it was like a, more like a bruise. Yeah. Uh, That's definitely like, I, I don't think it's like a big deal, but he all like, that's going to, 
continue to happen because Giorgio Chiellini is, you know, he's a pattern like that. Those things are going to happen. So, you know, if you lose that guy and then Bonucci, who has been, now he's been like the super overworked guy, you kind of want to manage his minutes there. Uh, Demiral is going to have to step up. The lift is going, it's not going to have to like an acclimation period after his injury. He's going to have to step in right away. And we're going to have to continue to to rely on Danilo, which to be fair, he's been pretty good at that position. He's been pretty decent, but you know, he's going to have to keep contributing there. That would be the, the thing that, that would, you know, kind of like scare me the most, you know, regarding the depth and regarding the overload of, of games that, that we have going on right now. Leave it to Sergio to bring Sammy Kadira back into the conversation. <laughs> hey, he's still on the team, man. He's still like technically, technically there's a scenario in which he scores for us in the Champions League final. Like that's not a thing that cannot happen. All right. Twitter questions from friend of the blog, Handy Vandy. It's been a few weeks since we've gotten one from him. So welcome back, little buddy. And he says that we've seen all the major historic teams in American sports have this pattern of dominance, then a dry run. So the question is, could this be the future for Juventus? And I mean, yeah, that's my <laughs> editorializing it. What do, what, do you, what do you guys see kind of happening? As I mean, as we've mentioned, Juventus is already a team in transition. And you look at when Obviously, Ronaldo's contract is coming up in a couple of years, so that's going to be another. Ronaldo's contract coming up could either be seen as a, as a, as something to gnash one's teeth over, or as a potential opportunity to use all that money that you're all of a sudden saving. I mean, yeah, yeah, that definitely will most likely be in Juventus's future at some point because it is the way of sports. I don't see it happening in the immediate future because Juve are so far ahead of the rest of Italy in terms of, of finances. You know, they were the only team that was really run well enough to not come to a screeching halt when the economy downturns in, in 2008, they have the J stadium, which is, Sorry, Allianz, if they're listening. <laughs> they have the Allianz, which is, we were talking about. We were talking about the Champions League this this episode, and you can't use you can't use corporate sponsorship names in UEFA competition. That's why I said it. You know, you have, but we have the stadium, which is such an insane advantage over everybody else in Italy. And you see how desperate everybody has been to get it you know i mean danny i'm surprised you didn't needle both uh tito and bren in your special episode about just the the utter failures that those that that stadiums have been for both of those roma and fiorentina you know and and even now like you know we've been talking for weeks about the italian senate starting a uh, you know doing a vote on a law that would make it easier for clubs to build the, to build stadiums but we've been waiting on that for like what three weeks now Maybe even more. I've said years ago, like maybe around like 2014, I started saying this, that the first team that will beat Juventus to the Scudetto will be the first of the bigger teams to open their own stadium. And I still kind of stand by that. I mean, we're a rebuilding team that is still 
far and away, at least on paper, the most talented team in Serie A. You know, they're not necessarily the team that plays the best, but they are the most talented. And when you can say that and still be in a rebuilding phase, that says a lot about the gap that there is between, between you and the rest of, it, of the field. So, I mean, yes, I think that that period, that fallow period will come eventually, but I don't think it's coming particularly soon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the streak will end at some point. Every, I did it for, for uh, the piece about, you know, last year's championship. You know, every, every time I've gotten to do that one, I just keep tacking on the whole, you know, this has never happened before. Like this streak of success is unprecedented and they keep adding to it. So it continues to be unprecedented. Like that this hasn't been done in any top five league in ever. So obviously what we're seeing here is something historical. Obviously, like Sam said, at this point, both due to the infrastructure in, on, in the club and for the, the actual team that they, that they filled in the pitch, they are still the best team in Italy and they will continue to be the best team in Italy, I hope, and, and on paper they should be for the next couple of years at least. But I don't think that they will ever, and this might be me tempting the, the football gods, but I don't think they will ever have like a long extended, you know, dry period like, 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 had, like um, the question mentions because Juventus has never really overall had like really long dry periods in, for league championships. You know, they've been pretty consistently good. I mean, they've won at least in every decade since like the 60s. So even even going behind, I think they won every year at least once since the fifties or the forties. So they're I, they historically have never had like a very long you know dry spell. At least in Italy, obviously we know that you know Champions League is a whole different thing. But at least in Italy, I I don't think they will ever go through like a very long sustained period of not winning anything. Unlike, for example, I don't know, like a club top of my head, uh, Inter Milan, who has, hasn't won anything in like over 3,000 days, I think, and Smooth. counting. So, you know, shout out that club, that, that Twitter account that just posts how many days has gone by since Inter has won. I love like, that account. Probably. Yeah, I just love shout that out account. To, shout out to that person. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I just don't think Juventus will ever go through something like that, at least unless something, you know, absolutely catastrophic happens. But, I don't think so, at least. I, I only, I kind of only want, I really want them to win the 10th in a row now. Like, if, if the streak ends up the 10th, that's fine. I think it'd be really neat to have that just, like, full decade, like, you know, double-digit, just complete dominance. I think that'd be really, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I don't have too much to add on that one, uh, except that really, in, as with, as is the case with many things in life, I always follow the money, so... If, with respect to Juve's, you know, future dominance, I think it's just going to depend on money, frankly. We obviously are pretty extended slash overextended because of Ronaldo's wages. Uh, I remember that, I forget who posted it. I think it may have been Tres Delina uh, posted that picture of uh, the wages, the yeah, the salaries of all the um, clubs in Serie And, I mean, yeah, obviously we're... <laughs> The highest we have the highest wage bill, uh, the highest payroll. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to depend on how much we can sustain our finances above and beyond other clubs in Italy. If we can sustainably and consistently be, well, 
more cash flow positive than uh, than other clubs in Italy, then yeah, I mean, I expect. Okay, sure, we might not win the title one or two seasons, but I mean, we're just obviously going to be up there because, frankly, and unfortunately, it is the money that talks these days. Which uh, kind of unrelated, but uh, I don't know if you guys read about the uh, project Big Picture in the Premier League, which uh, caused quite the stir uh, in England which is basically a domestic super league that they were trying to do, but quickly got shot down. And uh, I'm very curious to hear what people in the comments uh, will think about that. So yeah, anyway, money talks. Just to let you know, Sergio, according to today's post from days since Inter won a trophy, it is 3,423. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No, I mean, like, that's just, that's just, it's not enough. The, no, so no, it's, no, it's not even not winning a league. It's just not winning anything. Like that to me is why. Like a team with the supposed like, I mean, Inter is not like a provincial side that like is in danger of being relegated. Like they they have money. Like they should have at least like one like I don't know like a cup by Italia or something just like by sheer happenstance. But you know, they're frauds. They continue to be frauds, and they will forever be frauds. As a wise man once said. Those are rookie numbers. You gotta get those numbers up. <laughs> oh, that's such a great movie. Bit too long, but such a great movie. A bit too long. All right. We will wrap things up on that note. Thank you all for the Twitter questions. Unfortunately, we kind of were running tight on time here. So we only got to one of them this week, but hopefully next week with games back, we will we'll have a little more time to take the Twitter questions. So want to, uh, let you guys know as always you can follow us on social and send us your questions there at Juventus Nation on Twitter uh, just a couple plugs real quick uh, as Sam mentioned briefly I did a roundtable podcast with Tito from Viola Nation and Bren from Chiesa di Totti where we looked at the ending of the transfer window and the kind of the happenings around the league which seeing as Juventus Napoli happened a few days after we recorded. Well, you can probably guess that we discussed that and the league's handling of everything COVID-19. And a completely different note, I was actually a guest on YouTube live session with the uh, Juve, at Juve Therapy count with Roman, who had me on and basically just grilled me for a whole, a whole lot of time. And we talked a lot of things Juventus and there were some people dropping by, so it was Something I've never done before, and it was a pretty cool format to take part of for the first time. So check that out. It's on YouTube. You can find that at Uve Therapy as a Twitter account to find that link. So uh, as always, you can listen to us on Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, like, and rate there. You can find us on Spotify and Google Podcasts as always. Uh, I want to thank uh, Sam Sergio and Chuck's for, for uh, hanging out once again. So for those three men, this is Danny saying thank you for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.